Lord, let me speak truth this morning. Speak your truth to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning and welcome, especially to those of you who are new to St. John's or visiting. I have some things I want to share about our church at the end of my sermon, but I begin with the story of two nights in Africa. The summer of uh, my, after my junior year of college, I went with two other American students on a short-term mission trip to the Goma region of what was then Eastern Zaire. Our job was basically to be a film crew for a Swahili version of the film, Jesus. And many of the African pastors, including some of the Anglican priests in that area, wanted to, to increase or expand their outreach, especially in some of their pretty extensive parishes. And we were to take this film with them into some of the more remote villages in that part of the country. On one trip, we went north into the mountains uh, to work alongside uh, the Reverend Biddy Carico, who was also a tribal chief. And so our home base was his plantation. And two of us had the privilege of sleeping in the guest hut, which was constructed of uh, dried banana plants with banana leaf beds. At about three o'clock the morning of that first night, my roommate, hut mate, Dave, woke me up urgently saying there's something in here with us. It's getting all over me. Now, Dave was a linebacker from Southern Illinois University, but when it came to things like bugs, he was a total baby. And I had been shooing or away or killing bugs for him all summer. I thought, okay, it's something like that. But when I, as I came to, I heard what sounded like raining. It was loud. So I grabbed my flashlight and turned it on and shone it up into the roof of the hut. And it was raining inside the hut as thousands and thousands of driver ants were pouring through the ceiling. Now driver ants are sort of a junior version of army ants, but they're just as deadly. They've been known to consume entire bodies of wounded cattle. And since my mother was an entomologist, I knew what was happening, that we were being hit by a column. So I shouted to Dave, grab your backpack. We have got to get out of here immediately. So we grabbed our backpacks, not knowing how wide the column was, we are high stepping it to the first place we could find, which was a truck outside of one of the other buildings. And we hurtled our backpacks and ourselves into the, the rear of this truck. And we woke up two of Biddy Carico's uh, hired men who came out to wonder what was, what was going on. And I'm, I had bumped the, the eave of the hut on the way out. So I had all of these ants in my scalp and these buggers were biting me. So I grabbed one and I'm shouting at him, wadudu mingi, wadudu mingi, which means many insects. And these guys just laughed, you know, that crazy mzungu. The next morning we saw the column. It was about a half mile long. It was only about three feet wide but it was millions and millions of driver ants who from time to time go on marches 
and our little hut just happened to be in their path. Then that night, we took the Jesus film into another remote area and uh, probably had about three or 400 people from that area come to the showing. And as we got the film going, I went up to the top of a hill nearby, <clears throat> and I just wanted to look down on what was happening below me. And then I looked up into the sky. It was a beautiful star-filled African sky. And I prayed. I said, Father, thank you for including me in your great work in the world. And thank you for rescuing us from the ants. Sometimes it's raining ants or feels like it. And sometimes it's open sky. I wonder how you may be feeling today. If you're like me, you may be feeling some of both. Perhaps anxious or even distressed or overwhelmed by challenges and demands that confront you, but still hopeful, anticipating good things in your life, as John shared last week. For many of us, it was the literal, literal rain this past week that overwhelmed us as our own church took on four inches of water in the basement. But here we are, come together to worship. For all of us, COVID has been an ant storm as we continue to struggle towards relief from it and wonder what life will be like on the other side. We think of others and their circumstances. We think of the violence against life in our country and around the world. We think of those who continue to suffer the effects of injustice, racism, and poverty, including in our own city. For them, it has been raining ants for a long time. More recently, we think of the victims of fires on the West Coast, hurricanes on the East, where the skies literally erupted and rained down on them, bringing untold destruction. We think of the people of Haiti and the succession of tragic catastrophes they have suffered there. These are all what John here last week called shattering moments. We think of the people of Afghanistan, a number of whom live in New Haven and are our neighbors. And we became friends with them, in fact, through St. John's ministries. Now, this has had a profound personal impact for me and Karen. We became deeply concerned about two families in particular who were in Afghanistan when the Taliban took over. Friends of ours who came here as refugees and are now American citizens, whom we have come to know and love over the past several years. One of these, a mother who was trapped with her four small children. Another, a couple who were there with their two small children. When Kabul fell, our spirits fell with them as did the hearts of many other Afghani families in New Haven. But Karen, together with her partner in this ministry, immediately went into action. I can't tell you all that they did, literally working day and night 
to get people out of there. She was on the phone with Congresswoman. <laughs> I was joking with John. St. John's is going to get the reputation for having weepy preachers. <laughs> on the phone with Congresswoman Deloro, writing our senators in contact with the State Department. We had a secret line to extraction teams. We were getting phone calls and texts. At one point, Karen had a list of names that she had got from people in, in New Haven whose loved ones were at risk and over there. And we're, she's, I'm dictating to her their names and their ID numbers and their birth dates and all of these things. And all the time we were especially worried about these two little families. There was lots of work and they're still working on it. And lots of prayer. As the psalmist declares in our psalm for this morning, put not your trust in rulers, nor in any child of earth, for there is no help in them. Happy are they who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the Lord their God. This was an Esther moment for such a time as this. And I'm so proud of the way Karen stepped into that breach. Sometimes it's raining ants, and sometimes it's open sky. And we need to be willing to step into those moments with hope and resolve. Two Sundays ago, it was Karen's birthday. Of course, it was also the day that Henri was hitting. So in addition to the intense anxiety we felt over our Afghani friends and their loved ones, we were bracing for that, which Fortunately, did not amount to much for us. Ida more than made up for it. But then at 8.30 that morning, I got a phone call from my dad's wife telling me that my father had died. It was not a good day. I spent the afternoon writing my father's obituary. But that night, we got another phone call. The mother with her four small children had finally made it into the Kabul airport and were awaiting a flight out of the country. Karen said it was the best birthday present she could have received. The following day, we got word from the other family. They also finally had made it into the airport and would be making their way home. Last Sunday at midnight, we picked up that family at the Hartford Airport and brought them to their apartment here in town. Their journey had been harrowing, including nearly being trampled to death at the Kabul airport on their first attempt to get out. Then 28 hours without food or much drinking water for them and their two small children in the sweltering heat of a large tent in Qadar, which, which was the first place they had been transported to. But as we got them home and were helping them to settle, at one point the husband, Lal, turned to me with a huge smile on his face. He said, I can't believe we're here. I'm so thankful. The suffering of the Afghan people, including their loved ones who live in our city, is just beginning. But in that moment, the sky opened again.
Where does our hope come from? Where do we put our hope, really? How do we show our hope to the world? I quoted earlier from our psalm that we do not put our trust in other human beings, not ultimately, and that they are blessed who hope in the Lord their God. Such hope often flies right in the face of circumstances, often finding the opposite of what we might expect. Indeed, one of the things we notice in Psalm 146 and again in our readings this morning is that God is a God of reversal. Later in our psalm, we read that the God who made heaven and earth is the one who gives justice to those who are oppressed and food to those who hunger. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. In our gospel reading from Mark, we find Jesus doing some of these very things. In this instance, opening the ears of a deaf man. Delivering the little daughter of an anguished mother from an evil spirit that oppressed her. Less notable, perhaps, is another reversal. This woman was a Gentile. When Jesus compares her request to feeding the dogs rather than the children of Israel, it would be a mistake to think that Jesus thought Gentiles were inferior. Rather, he was both provoking this woman's faith, perhaps even a bit tongue-in-cheek, and he was rehearsing the prejudices of many of the people in the crowd, evoking it in order to challenge it. Indeed, though Mark doesn't record it here, Matthew notes that Jesus commended this woman for her great faith. And there's only one other person in the gospel so commended, the centurion who believed in Jesus's authority to heal his servant. Neither of these people distinguished for their great faith was Jewish. The gospel writers don't want us to miss the point. Whatever habits of cultural bias we may express, our God of reversals registers another way of being in the world. One that loves the world that God so loved when he sent us his son. It is a hope we have and a hope we hold forth to others. When we heed what James reminds us to obey, to love our neighbors as ourselves. James describes the imprint of our God of reversals on the church, which are the powerful passage from uh, Proverbs echoes as well. He picks up a similar th thread as we see from the example of Jesus, admonishing his readers and us about how Christians are to reverse our own value systems as those whose destiny has been reversed by their savior. So he tells us that unlike the world, we are to show no partiality, not to the rich, nor we would add <clears throat> to those with a certain education or rank or celebrity or skin color or ethnicity or gender or on and on. Instead, we are to pay special honor and attention to those among us who are without such status for whatever reasons in our scale of values the poor, the outcast, the marginalized. The world, and we ourselves often enough, I dare say, have many hierarchies 
all of which the God of reversals flattens and replaces with a new order of love. What does all of this have to do with raining ants and open skies and with our church? Let me propose the following connection. The greatest reversal of all is, of course, the one that has changed each of us. As Paul summarizes this in his second letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has now become new. And how is this made possible? Paul concludes, because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Another great reversal. What this means, among other things, is that we were met in our most dire need. And dire need for salvation, for justice, for belief, is what God calls us to engage with that same hope as we have in Christ. I was deeply challenged by Alexandra's sermon from two weeks ago, particularly her insight that because God remembered us, we should remember God, which we do in our worship, but also in our action on behalf of others. If I, if I may adapt her principle slightly to our theme this morning, we remember the hope that we have in Christ when we put hands and feet to it by bringing hope to others. Bearing witness to the hope of the gospel and the promise of salvation in Christ and bringing justice and relief to those in need. This is our faith. The substance of things hoped for. A faith, as James admonishes us, that is shown by our works. Indeed, that is dead without the works of love. In the face of whatever confronts us, we are a people of the open sky. This God of reversals whom we remember and praise and seek to imitate is the God we lift up here. Indeed, the worship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit marks one of our fundamental commitments in our church. It's a practice that runs throughout our liturgy every Sunday. In fact, if you want to know what our commitments are at St. John's, the liturgy is a good place to start. From this, you can see that we are a worshiping community. We are a community of the word and a working community. We worship God through song and sacrament, remembering him and his redemption, particularly in the Eucharist. And by the way, if you're a musical person, we would love to have you join our music team or our choir. We are a community of the word in that we listen to scripture each week and preach from it in our sermons. And not only on Sundays, but in all ways, we seek to be biblically faithful. As John Harris put it, St. John's is a church where we aspire to be a mature people of the book, practicing what we call a generous orthodoxy, rooted in our reading of scripture as we sit together under its instruction. In this respect, I encourage you to join one of our small groups this fall. 
They're only running every other week and from, from this month until December. But this is a new initiative with all of our groups working through a study of the Christian disciplines, looking at these through a biblical lens and nurturing a deeper sense of community among us. These small groups also have the promise of becoming a way for us to live out our faith and remember our hope in practical ways in our community, as Michelle mentioned last week. And that leads to our third distinctive commitment, that we are a working community. Responding to James's admonition, which John preached about last week, that we show our faith by our works. So in our prayers of the people, you notice that we are concerned for the needs of others. And in praying for these, we are prompted to consider how the Lord may use us and as a community of faith, be involved in meeting those needs. Now, there are some ways that we already are doing this, and I encourage you to get involved in one of them, the Racial Justice Fellowship, our work with immigrants and refugees, our ESOL program. We're also deeply grateful to our St. John's summer intern, Alexander Green, who's putting together a, a sort of local activist manual that lays out numerous other ways that we can reach out to people in New Haven. We are in earnest to pursue new ways to put hands and feet to our hope by working to address the needs of others. So St. John's is a worshiping community, a community of the word and a working community. We have find expression for all of this also in the verse we have adopted for our mission statement, which we also invite people to embrace as their own commitment. From Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. For those of you who are seeking a church, whether here or otherwise, and for all of us, consider not only what a church may give you, but what you can give. What contribution you can make with your spiritual gifts, your talents, your labor. We are people of the open sky. Whatever challenges confront us, our hope is in the Lord and is made concrete when we remember that hope by our labors of love. I don't know what you may be facing in your life right now. Raining ants or open sky. But I close with this encouragement. It's a hymn of David's from the song, his songs of the scent, Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against her mother, my soul is like a weaned child. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Amen.